1: Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Matters. Thank you for joining us. Christianity and culture, often we think of those two topics as separate categories, not related to one another. As a Christian, often we think of Christianity as something you do on Sunday mornings, maybe in your daily prayer and Bible time. And then culture, you think of what's out in the world. You think of uh, jobs, you think of arts, entertainment, uh, that kind of thing. But have you ever thought and wondered how your faith applies to culture? This question is something that's coming into focus as we have political leaders and policies that often come in conflict with religious values. And because of that, I'm thinking of various issues, whether it's related to life or moral boundaries, whatever it might be, this puts the believer who seeks to live out their faith according to biblical uh, principles, it puts them in a very difficult position. So to that end, Commonwealth Policy Center is going to put together a series of conferences across the state called Christianity and Culture. And the goal is to help us think clearly about culture and about the intersection of the faith and culture and how to respond well when culture and society push against religious values and would force us to compromise our convictions. Pope John Paul II once said that a faith that does not become culture is not fully accepted, not entirely thought out, not faithfully lived. I don't know where you are in your uh, religious walk. I know that there are some Catholics listening. There are Protestants. There are non-believers listening, too. But this statement uh, really gets to the core of, regardless of where you're coming at this from, Uh, The the point he's making is that the culture, uh, the collective society, and that culture reflects the people's most deeply held faith. And as a Christian, hopefully your faith, as it's being lived out in culture, is being reflected, being worked out in that culture. Uh, So we have a number of challenges, and I want to share just briefly some of the challenges that we're facing today as Christians trying to honor God Walking out the faith in whatever role and whatever place in society God has placed us, there's a lot of challenges. First of all, and this is, I just said it, but say it again the culture in the political arena, especially, is becoming hostile to religious freedom. We've seen it with Joe Biden's uh, executive order regarding LGBT rights in the public school uh, setting, uh, we're seeing it with the push of the Equality Act. We're seeing it uh, when it comes to healthcare workers and conscience rights. Many of uh, these policies push against religious freedom. That I'm thinking of the pharmacist who might be asked to fulfill a prescription that could end the life of an unborn baby. I'm thinking of that track coach who has the uh, gender dysphoric boy who wants to join the girls' track team. How does he deal with this? Uh, What about the the public school teacher that is asked to address a fifth grader by a pronoun that is not consistent with their uh, biological-born identity? Uh, These are real questions that are pressed upon us, and if you're a believer and if you care about doing your job according to your biblical convictions, it's important to be prepared uh, to think through these issues and then to respond in the right way. You know, the church has largely, and I say this with a broad brushstroke, and I say it with a heavy heart, the church has not effectively engaged and influenced the culture for several decades. We're very good at pointing out what's wrong. We're very good at telling people how they should live and to remind them of moral boundaries. But as far as casting a vision for what a healthy culture looks like, embracing the good, the true the beautiful, quite frankly, we've not done well with that. And I would say it's because we lack an understanding of culture. Have you ever thought about God's original design for Adam and Eve? He made them, of course, in his image. Uh, we, Adam and Eve were put in the garden. God gave them jobs to do. And really, it was to build culture. He told them to take care of the garden, to tend and to keep it, to have dominion over the earth, over the fish, of the sea, and the birds of the air and the animals on land but they were given the original task to build culture. I know that may sound radical, but that's in the very first book, very very first uh, couple of chapters of the Bible. The last point here, as far as challenges that we're facing, is that Bible-believing Christians are in the minority, even here in the Bible Belt in Kentucky. Uh, Many people identify, the majority identify as Christians, but as far as those who are embracing biblical principles and living them out, very much in the minority. And I would say it's similar to the exiles who were in the Babylonian captivity. And if you remember uh, Jeremiah's admonition to the exiles, he said, look, you're going to be here for a while. Uh, Have your sons and daughters marry, plant gardens, build homes. He was saying build culture, learn how to find your place in that society, even as you're in the minority. But he said this in Jeremiah chapter 29, Seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare you shall find yours. And I'd submit that that is a good starting point for Christians today, to seek the welfare of your community. For when you begin to build culture, when you're loving your neighbors yourself, when you're working to build community, you will find your welfare in that. I, I'm out of time to talk about this, but I wanted to share with you again, with Policy Center is having a Christianity and Culture Conference coming up April the 29th in Lexington. Get on our website to find out more information. Go to CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. That's Center.org. Find more information there, sign up, and I hope to see you then. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of the Commonwealth Policy Center here in the Kentucky Attorney General's Office. Uh, with Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Daniel, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks, Richard. I appreciate, uh, you being back. I always right. enjoy our time together. It's, uh, yeah. it's fun and obviously glad to, to visit with the, the viewers today.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, you and I have crossed paths a number of times just sure. in the last week or so. Uh, I saw you at the Kentucky Right to Life annual banquet in Louisville. That's right. Uh, you spoke. You actually had uh, the people on their feet. Yeah. Uh, very proud of you. Uh, for leading when it comes to sanctity of life issues. Uh, then we crossed paths just the other day yeah. here in the Kentucky Capitol. You spoke at another right to life event. There were several different pro life groups there, uh, good attendance uh, from people all across the state in support of House Bill 91. So I'd like to start out on right to life issues since this is of front course. and center. Yeah, uh, House Bill 91, uh, Attorney General Cameron, is the bill, the constitutional amendment, that simply says that abortion is not a protected right under the Kentucky Constitution, nor shall public tax dollars be used to procure an abortion. Tell us about that bill, why you're in favor of it. Uh, Was that a necessary bill? Some people were saying that those on the other side were saying that it's not necessary. Uh, This is overkill. It's not a state issue right now, but give us your thoughts if you would on that.
0: Well, let me just step back and say, I've been really proud of uh, the work that the uh, the General Assembly has done over the course of this legislative session and grateful for the way that you and, and your viewers uh, pray for the members and pray for courage and, and just strength to do what is right and to reflect the values of the Commonwealth. Uh, and this bill, uh, in my judgment, uh, really does that in in terms of making sure that we are reflecting the values and representing to the fullest extent the humanity and compassion of Kentuckians in all 120 counties. And so this bill, uh, as you know, is is really contingent on what the United States Supreme Court will do as it relates to Roe v. Wade. But it's important for this to be on the ballot uh, come 22 because again, it reflects. The values of Kentuckians, we, again, and in my judgment, uh, fully believe that the majority of Kentuckians uh, feel that it's appropriate and necessary uh, to stand up for those who cannot speak for themselves, to stand up and speak for the unborn. Uh, I say that as someone who's newly married. I say that as someone whose faith uh, dictates uh, that life in the womb is life that is valued and is to be protected. And I say that as someone who firmly believes that the Constitution uh, provides for the protection of uh, those that are in the womb. So uh, this bill, uh, House Bill 91, was important to pushing forward in making sure that we're uh, doing everything we possibly can to to stand up for the rights of the unborn.
1: The sponsor of that bill uh, in the Kentucky House is Joe Fisher, and he said the reason uh, why that was introduced was to prevent another Roe v. Wade from happening in Kentucky. Of course, we've got abortion on demand in this country through the federal court system. The U.S. Supreme Court found a right to abortion in the U.S. Constitution. It is expected that uh, it's very possible the U.S. Supreme Court hands this issue back to the states. So uh, Representative Fisher and others that supported that bill are saying, we don't want this to be decided by the courts. We would rather have the legislature to decide this. So in a sense, this is restoring a balance of power. Hmm. The laws should be made through the legislative body, right. not through the courts. Uh, and, and, and so it does restore that balance that has really been out of balance. So many yeah. laws that legislatures, not just Kentucky's legislature, but other state legislatures, so many pro-life laws that are passed, are they end up being uh, challenged and often courts strike them down. And that's unfortunate. So this does restore the balance of power. You shared something very interesting at the rally. Uh, CERD people, they applauded when you shared the news about your campaign promise to fight mm-hmm. to restore the sanctity of life all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if necessary. Uh, and you'd shared some news about your Fulfilling yeah. that campaign, and, although you weren't campaigning, you really did fulfill that campaign. promise. Tell, tell us more about that.
0: Well, Richard, as you know, in the in the time before I actually uh, was granted the opportunity to serve in this role as attorney general, I told people that on on matters of life, we'll take those all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, and what you're referring to, and what I shared uh, with with folks out on the uh, Capitol steps the other day, is that the Supreme Court uh, has actually. Granted a hearing uh, for this office and for Kentuckians. I put the emphasis on Kentuckians because again, this represents our, our pro-life values represent all um, the men, women and children of our 120 counties. They are going to hear our motion to intervene in uh, a case or legislation related to House Bill 454, which puts a ban, as, as most of your folks know, on live dismemberment abortions. Uh, and it's, a tough and difficult topic to talk about. Um, wh- what we're talking about is a D and E proce- procedure, of dilation and evacuation procedure of a a child from from the womb. Um, and what has occurred in the past, and what House Bill 454 is seeking to address, is in some instances those babies are still alive, and so they're being dismembered. They can feel pain, and they've been taken out of the womb. And what this bill does is say that we need to ensure that those babies again, this is difficult to talk about because you and I don't want that to happen at all, uh, but if it is to happen, we want to ensure that those uh, babies are, are not alive when this procedure is occurring. We were defending that case uh, in conjunction with the Bashir administration once they got an adverse ruling, the Bashir administration said we're done we've as many of your viewers can uh understand they washed their hands of House Bill 454. They said enough is enough. I've said that it's the responsibility and the role of the attorney general to defend the laws that are passed by the General Assembly. And then on a more personal basis, uh personal level, to defend the pro-life legislation that is passed by the General Assembly. And so uh, we endeavored to do that at the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. We got a ruling that said we could not we didn't allow that to stop us. We weren't deterred by that. We said we're going to go to the Supreme Court and and have them decide this issue. And they're going to hear this case uh, in the fall. Uh, I'm excited about it. Our We've got a, a really strong team that's working on this. Matt Coon, uh, Brett Nolan, Chad Meredith. Uh, the list goes on and on of, of really bright and talented lawyers uh, that um, are going to be working on this in the weeks and, and months ahead.
1: That's exciting that uh, this case was accepted by the U.S. Supreme Court. How rare is that, that an attorney general like yourself would would appeal to the Supreme Court and they'll accept it.
0: The case? Well, it's very rare. They only take uh, the cases of great magnitude and import. And this is a case that will certainly have uh, important significance for Kentucky, uh, but will have important significance for all of the country in terms of uh, what it could say about an attorney general's role. Uh, in representing and defending the laws that are passed by our respective states. So I'm excited about it. I think it's going uh to be a case that will be remembered for a long time because of the import that, uh, that it'll have outside of the Commonwealth. And it'll give us an opportunity to get back in this to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals to make sure that we're defending House Bill 454.
1: Uh General Cameron. Could this be the case that the Supreme Court decides that somehow hands this issue of abortion policy back to the states? It, it, could this be either a stepping stone or is there a potential for a major ruling here with this case?
0: Well, I think this is a a, a first step, if you will. So what we've said to the Supreme Court and they've accepted uh, hearing arguments on it is that we should have an opportunity to defend this pro-life legislation, House Bill 454. What's happened in the interim? What that makes it important that we have an opportunity uh, to defend House Bill four fifty four is a June medical case. It's a decision that was recently made by the Supreme Court. It wasn't a win for pro life uh, advocates and supporters, uh, but what it said was uh, really uh, from the Supreme Court's perspective, and in particular Chief Roberts' perspective, uh, that we need to get away from essentially what's a balancing taste test, meaning we're going to look at the benefits versus the burdens as it relates to uh, abortion procedure procedures. What we need to be focused on is, is there a substantial obstacle, uh, in limiting uh, abortion uh, procedures? And so June medical, uh, has provided a lot of hope to those in the pro-life community. Uh, and so what I'm optimistic about is that if we get a good ruling from the United States Supreme Court, it allows us to go back into the Sixth Circuit, uh, Court of Appeals and advocate on behalf of House Bill 454 uh, with the newfound knowledge of what we've learned from that June medical case. Okay. Very good. Uh,
1: one more thing on the life issue, and then I want to move on to the next topic. The state legislature did empower you to defend Kentucky's pro-life laws. Mm-hmm. And I guess that puts you in this position. Is that correct? It,
0: well, um, you're referring to House Bill 2. House Bill
1: 2, where in the past it was the governor and his uh, Cabinet for Health and Family yeah. Services, where they had defended the laws. They took away that authority because he wasn't defending right. the laws. They gave that to you, and you have been executing yes. the laws, pro life policy, abortion policy in Kentucky.
0: And the other thing that it does so, where we ran into an issue, what you're referring to is in the height of the pandemic uh, when Governor Bashir and CHFS said, we're going to uh, stop non essential medical procedures. Well, those procedures stopped except for abortion procedures. And so we wrote to CHFS saying, Hey, you've, you've listed out all of these non-essential services that need to stop because of the need for personal protective equipment and uh, PPE and so on. But yet you're continuing to allow these abortion procedures to go on. That needs to stop. And CHFS did not uh, uh, agree to do that. And so now what the General Assembly has said is that if we're in the midst of a pandemic again, and if there's a decision to made on essential versus non-essential services. Let's empower the attorney general to be able to go in to these abortion providers and have those non-essential services stopped as well. So they've certainly given us uh, a greater uh, ability uh, to be able to respond in the midst of a pandemic. And again, it just points back to the position uh, that you started off with, which is that the legislature is in many ways trying to reinstate themselves as a co-equal branch of government during the pandemic. The governor had a go it alone approach on decisions really that impacted Kentuckians all across the Commonwealth, shut down businesses, uh, stop kids from being able to go to daycare, even attempted to shut down churches. Uh, again, this was the General Assembly's response in many ways to making sure that they have a seat at the table in some of these important decisions.
1: Very good. Religious freedom is an important issue for you. Yesterday, you joined a 12-state coalition to intervene in a lawsuit to defend religious freedom protections for federal contractors. Uh, Thirteen states led by New York is challenging a U.S. Department of Labor rule that ensures that religious organizations are not disfavored in government contracting. Why did you join in this case, well, maybe the, that's the softball. Now, up <laughs> well, with yeah. your oh. tell us why this is important for Kentucky.
0: Well, it's important because, again, I think it reflects the values of uh, the Commonwealth. Obviously, we um, fully respect and appreciate our First Amendment rights, uh, and whether that's in public or private life, we want people to be able to freely associate uh, with their faith, and uh, obviously, that is again important in Kentucky. And what the Department of Labor uh, is essentially doing is, uh, I, I used this earlier, but washing their hands of the the uh, responsibility of defending uh, the worship and religious practices of people that engage uh, in contracts with the Department of Labor. Myself and att- other attorneys general across the country said, no, we need to stand up for the First Amendment rights uh, of of contractors in this country. I think, again, it reflects the values of Kentucky. That's why we're involved in this. Uh, we want to make sure that any state uh, or federal agency that is involved in contracting uh, really gives a fair shake to those that uh, have religious preferences that are included in their their work. Very good.
1: Uh, moving along, I know our time is running short, uh, General Cameron. Child protection laws. Uh, your office supported House Bill 254 which protects Kentucky's children by enhancing penalties against child predators. Uh, this is what it says, that it, it, it enhances penalties against child predators who possess, view, or distribute child sexual abuse material of a minor under the age of 12. Again, another issue that's difficult to talk about, but it's here. This stuff happens in mm-hmm. Kentucky, happens across the country, but your office decided to tackle this issue and to support this bill. It did pass into law. Um, is this issue of, uh, gross child pornography? Is this something you're seeing more of? You've been in office for some time now. What is, what are you seeing out there? Is it, uh, tell us more about
0: this. Well, look, this is in response to, um, some challenges that we have here in the commonwealth as it relates to child abuse and exploitation. And so any, um, additional tool that we can put in our toolbox, uh, to help deter this activity or Make sure that we are putting these bad actors away and enhancing those penalties. uh, We're going to be in favor of in this office. Again, it it speaks to our responsibility to be a watchman at the gate and to make sure that we are looking out for the most vulnerable uh, in our communities. And oftentimes children are in vulnerable positions where uh, perhaps they uh, don't know that they are in an abusive uh, relationship or position. Uh, And so what this bill does really gives us the tools to make sure that we're able to confront these challenges going forward. Very good. And
1: of course, that sends a message to pornographers or people even thinking about getting involved with child pornography that the state of Kentucky is serious about prosecuting it and that there are consequences to that. And that's, I think, an appropriate message. Our children are vulnerable. Our children need to be protected. And your office is taking the lead on that. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. Uh, You have said publicly in the past where your faith in fact, in our conversation, yeah. General Cameron, your faith uh, com- compels you, motivates you. Uh, it's who you are. You don't separate it. It informs how you mm-hmm. do life. Mm-hmm. It informs how you do your job. You uh, recently recorded a message to be released for Good Friday,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, a message about the challenging time that we've been in. And tell tell us a little bit about that, if you would.
0: Yeah, well, um, it, it's been late on our collective hearts here in the AG's office to uh make sure that um you know people see that faith is important to us uh that it helps inform the decisions that uh, we make in this office uh but that we really take this time during um uh, resurrection week and, and and Passover and what have you uh to make sure that we're celebrating uh Christ and to make sure that we are Appreciative of the sacrifice that his son made in in going to the cross and then being resurrected for our sins. And so, uh, this message is really about even in the midst of great challenge and struggle, uh, we can take, um, we can be grateful for the cross, uh, and we can be thankful for that sacrifice. And so we just wanted to share that collectively as the AG's office to say that again, even in the midst of great struggle, um, we can again take take great uh, solace in what happened uh, on the cross for us over 2000 years ago.
1: You know, I know there are some um, detractors who would criticize anybody in public office. They would criticize me as well for uh, asserting that faith does have a place in public life, that it does have a faith in a public servant's life. But if you just look at some of the principles of what Jesus talked right. about, <laughs> loving your neighbors, as yourself, right. uh, being kind to others, being gracious to others, I wonder if we really embrace those ideals, if how how much different as a society we'd be.
0: Well, I talk a lot about, um, our responsibility during the midst of this pandemic to be a good neighbor. And, uh, that is a principle that's right from, uh, right from the Bible. And, uh, one of the things that I focus on in this message, um, is I was really proud of the way that pastors and congregations all across Kentucky, I, I recall last year sitting on a couch. Uh, with my mom and, and wife, Mackenzie, watching Easter service. Uh, and, you know, Hebrews talks about not forsaking the assembly of believers. And mm-hmm. I know pastors and congregations all c- across Kentucky took that charge seriously and that instruction seriously. Mm-hmm. And now because, um, pastors and congregations believed in the, their constitutional rights, stood steadfast by those constitutional rights, uh, we're all going to be back if we choose to back in services this Sunday. Uh, and so, it was a, a great reminder as we were working through this message to think about that.
1: And as you brought it up, it was just a year ago that mm. we're in a very different situation. Yes, where at sir. the beginning of the shutdown. Churches were told by yeah. Governor Bashir yeah. yes. not to have in-person services. In fact, leading up to that, he had warned that he would send state troopers right. to church parking lots to take down license plate numbers sure. and to report those to the local health departments and to and find people. That's right. Uh, of course, that uh, didn't go over well. Right. Uh, there was a, a lawsuit, actually a couple of lawsuits eventually. Uh, your office, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, stood on behalf of religious freedom. Yes, sir. And your side prevailed.
0: Well, we look, it is, um, and, and where we drew that courage. And that's why I talk in the message about pastors and congregations. We drew that from them because they stood up for their rights. They uh, heeded the direction and instruction that's given in Hebrews about not forsaking the assembly. Uh, and because of that courage and because of that strength, um, if, if congregations choose to, they can be back, uh, in, in service on Sunday, um, worshiping and, and again, just taking part in resurrection Sunday services. And that's something exciting, uh, to talk about and, and to think about as we move into Sunday.
1: Yeah. Very good. Well, General Cameron, we are just about out of time. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I don't know if you have any final words or any final thoughts you'd like to share with the viewers.
0: Well, look, I just say I appreciate, um, I, I started by saying that, you know, I appreciate uh, just the encouragement and support that CPC and, and so many of your viewers have given to this office. Um, it really uh, strengthens us and, and gives us the backbone and strength that we need to, to make some pretty tough decisions. And so grateful to you all. And obviously, Richard, grateful to you. Thank you so Thank much.
1: God bless you. God's you yeah. Keep up the good work. Thank you, sir.